I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out. And you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Dear friends, this has been one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to prepare. Not because I didn't know what to say, but because I wasn't sure how to say it. The beginning is often hard. Many times over the years, I sat down to write a sermon, and I would sit there for an hour or two before anything would come. And then once it came, I was ready to get it over and get on with it. Not so with this sermon. I don't want it to be over. Because when it is, it'll be for good. So you'll forgive me if I wish these moments would just linger a while longer. Today is hard because it is my last sermon. And after today, I will no longer be one of your ministers. That for me is sad. Although that may not be true for everyone. I told people when they were telling me about my leaving and that they were sad, I said, there will be some people who are going to be very sad, some who will be sad, and some who will be glad. (laughs) Because no minister can ever please all the people all the time. And that has certainly been the case for me. The ministry is not always easy because one must struggle to discern the distinction between one, one's own will and God's will. Between human ambition and God's commission. Between self-interest and divine intention. Between the, what we call, upward mobility and the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. How does a person of integrity identify and relate with all the distinctions and diversities of life without compromising one's own convictions, without selling out to the temptation to be all things to all people. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the, in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. A clergy friend of mine shared a poem with me, which I think of often. It's not great verse, but it makes the point particularly for ordained clergy in the church. I'm not the one who runs this train. The whistle I can't blow. I'm not the one who designates how far this train will go. I'm not allowed to blow the steam or even ring the bell. But let this damn thing jump the track and see who catches hell. (laughs) And then an adapted Hebrew legend. Before David Young was born, Satan brought a complaint to God. If David Young is born, he will so sway people to the good 
that I shall be unemployed. To which God replied, have no fear. (laughs) David Young will eventually become a minister in the United Church of Christ, and he will be so busy with committee meetings, judicatories, in-house bickering and busy work, that he won't have time to seriously hamper your work. Well, for me, today's sermon title, Grace and Gratitude Go Hand in Hand. The two words I know best for an occasion such as this are grace and gratitude. I invite you to let those two words sink into your heart today as well. Grace and gratitude. Grace is God's goodness directed freely toward us. Grace is God's goodness directed freely toward us. That grace has been put into concrete experience for me here at the Neighborhood Church these past ten years. This church, in both direct and subtle ways, has been an ever-present comfort for me in times of personal and professional struggles and difficulties. We are a community of grace. A community of grace. Where none of us is perfect, where none of us seeks to be perfect, but we are all part of God's family. And we forgive each other, we accept each other, we love each other unconditionally because we are ultimately a community that seeks to live in God's image and in God's love and are a community of grace. It may be tangible, like the support and loyalty of Michelle, or like the trust and acceptance I feel in this place. Perhaps it is divine grace allowing me to know that regardless of my worth, I am loved. Many ministers, such as myself, who enter congregational ministry with a prophet's passion or a scholar's patience, live on the edge of ultimate ego-shattering despair. Some of us try to restore our sense of being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ by occasional outbursts of rage against evil. Believe me, a rousing, no-holds-barred sermon gets rid of a lot of frustration and often finds us 15 minutes later sipping coffee at the hospitality time. (laughs) I enjoy preaching, especially the preparation. It keeps me intellectually and spiritually alive and aware. The worth of preaching is that we are called to preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord. We remind people of urgent decencies. We remind ourselves of essential interpretations and priorities with which we began. There's a good deal of pretending and social comment in the old maxim. A minister's congregation who does not want to drive him out of town is no minister. And a minister minister they do drive out of town isn't really a minister either. And yet, it is right and necessary to preach the gospel. You know, sometimes I do my best learning after I've preached a sermon. 
I often preach, and afterwards someone will say, why didn't you say this? Or, why didn't you talk about that? Or, why don't you preach about it? So I find that there are people in this congregation who have assigned me research projects and sermon titles. (laughs) I don't know about it until they ask about it. And then I learn about it before I preach about it. Sometimes I don't learn enough about it, and so I learn a lot about it after I preach about it. (laughs) But over and against my own experience in preaching lay these words of one of the greatest American preachers, Harry Emerson Fosdick. He said, A minister of the gospel whose preaching will change minds, lives, and the course of history will be strong-minded with consuming convictions and an unyielding faith, no quavering vacillations or paralyzing tentativeness in the name of humility will do. Life does not allow a perennially open mind that never takes a stand. There must come a moment when one's mind becomes closed. Wow. That's a tough challenge. It's a painful paradox to live with tentativeness on the one hand and certainty on the other. To keep an open mind and yet make up your mind. To recognize our mortality as we witness to immortality. To acknowledge the frailty of our human insights while we preach, thus saith the Lord. To to differentiate between the relative nature of our perceptions of reality and the absolute nature of the reality we proclaim. The gospel is both exciting and demanding. And so, here, in the midst of all that, having experienced your love, and having seen your courage, humility, and compassion, and dignity, I feel that I have truly lived. And strange as this may sound, whenever I die, be it in the next year, in 10 years, or 20 years, I will not feel that life has shortchanged me in any way. I consider myself to be one of the richest people I know. I know of no greater gift for which I might ask. And so I thank you. And trusting that we are here together In this moment, I thank God. I thank God with the deepest of gratitude. The words of Elton Trueblood, a theologian from my home state, said this in a book he wrote about the Lord's Prayer. However hard our work, we recognize, when we're honest, that we are not self-made creatures and that what is best in our lives comes by grace rather than our own desserts. Grace. Grace is so close to love, especially when we know a love which is totally unmerited, completely unearned, and absolutely undeserved. Cardinal Bernadine once wrote, For you, I am a bishop, but with you, I am a Christian. He was borrowing words of St. Augustine. The first is an office accepted. The second is a grace received. 
I am happier by far to be redeemed with you than I am to be placed over you. Friends, I have been far happier to be redeemed with you and to serve alongside you than I have been to know any special status as a minister. Grace brings with it a certain kind of joy and and literally implies a beauteous spark divine. Grace is God's goodness and kindness in personal action. Well, talking about grace in the life of faith inevitably leads to gratitude. Gratitude. Hear it as Paul expressed it in our text. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God, which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him. Dear friends, it is my strong belief that we have been enriched in Christ Jesus in every way. And I am grateful. Here's how that wonderful medical missionary and theologian and organist, Albert Schweitzer, once said, the greatest thing, the greatest thing is to give thanks in everything. To give thanks in everything. The one who has learned this knows They know what it is. It means to live. And that one has penetrated the whole mystery of life, giving thanks for everything. Well, that's where I have to cut myself short or we'd be here all day. But I do want to mention a few other things for which I'm personally grateful. They can be highlighted in the following way. I'm grateful for sharing in the joy, the wonder, the mystery and the celebration of the Neighborhood Church Christmas pageant. And I'm so glad to know that it's going to resume this year. I'm grateful for sharing in the inspiring music, the music ministry of this church, and our worship together, which for me is central to our life as the body of Christ. I'm grateful for all of our children and youth here at the church. I'm grateful for our more mature members and all of you in between. I'm grateful for all of the interruptions, even though I may not have seemed like it at the moment, and all the phone calls, all the emails and texts. For more often than not, that's where ministry takes place. And at a most basic level, I'm thankful to God for all of you, for the joy, the love, and the fun we have shared together. And who could forget all the meals we've enjoyed, communing around tables, and especially gathering about the Lord's table for communion, as we shared in Christ's presence as Christ's body. And finally, I'm grateful for the challenge of growing, of growing in so many ways, but certainly of growing with you in the ways of faithfulness and service. It was that Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung who said, the spiritual quest is essentially an attempt to become what we were meant to be. To become what we were meant to be. And I believe that is a child of God. The life of faith we are called to become 
We are called to become this, this fullest expression of who God has created us to be. Each one of us unique and distinctive and wondrous and beautiful. And yet coming together to be of one in the spirit of God. Grace and gratitude, they go together. And I can think of no two better words that are fitting for this occasion. Without grace, we have no redemption. And without gratitude, we have no relatedness to God and to one another. I'm going to share a wonderful story. It comes from, from Africa. And it's about a boy who gave his missionary teacher an exquisite, gorgeous seashell. It was a Christmas gift. The young boy had walked many, many miles to a special bay. It was the only place where these particular seashells could be found. How wonderful, the teacher said, that you have traveled so far for this present. The boy replied, as his eyes shone in delight, long walk. Part of gift. Long walk, part of gift. There have been many beautiful seashells given to me, as it were. And I am thankful. But the long walk in faith you have shared with me over these past ten years is one of the greatest gifts I have ever ever received. And so I am grateful for the growth that we have known, and I would encourage you to keep growing in the way of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a young boy, I wanted to grow up and be just like my dad. But when I grew up, I learned I was to grow up into Christ. In fact, Paul encourages us in Ephesians to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. God is faithful. Grace and gratitude. So in closing, I want to I offer a poem. It's by Edward Seifert, and it's simply called Grace. It comes as a shining girl on a bicycle riding straight toward you. Without stopping, she, she throws you a smile meant just for you. Just for you. Alone there on the pathway. She has seen you and out of her bowl of gladness sprinkled you that particular morning. And as you lingered there on the pathway, you realize you will not see the girl, the shining girl again. And the wheels aiming straight at you. But you will go to your rooms and take your rest at midday. And the grace of the writing girl will grow a tall flower beside you. I am grateful to God at the work in you for growing a tall flower beside me and within me.
we, we lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord will keep our life. The Lord will keep us from all evil. The Lord will keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. May God enrich you always with the most wondrous of spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.